Top Shelf with Brendan Myers and Declan Langbaki starts right now. Back here Tuesday night here on the East Coast. Tuesday, would you still consider this afternoon? Oh, on the very West much Coast? so. Very much so. <laughs> Another edition of Top Shelf alongside Declan Langbaki. My name is Brendan Myers. Appreciate you checking us out here on Spotify or Anchor, wherever you get your podcast from. Post NFL Draft Edition. Uh, tonight here on Top Shelf, we're going to get into that. We're going to talk some reopening plans for some of the European soccer leagues. And But first, Declan, I want to get your take. Did you watch the, the latest two episodes of The Last Dance? I have watched the last two episodes of The Last Dance. Uh, also, I believe I believe afternoon goes till the 435 range, at which point it transitions into evening. Just want to so- state that. All right, that's that's fair, um, you know. Uh, and I believe four thirty-five is still is like very early evening. You know, if if you're like, hey, like we're gonna be playing in the afternoon. Oh, when three to six, I'd let it slide. Well, because um, I don't know, maybe maybe after episode like one or two, I realized that I kept saying Tuesday night, and I was like, it's a completely different time zone. I'm I'm here in Jersey. You know, if, you're out there in California. Yeah. So I was like, I I, I got to be fair. Show show the West Coast some love. I mean, it could be morning. In Hawaii or wherever, it's morning. You know, like times relative. Anyway, last dance. Speaking of time being relative, time is a flat circle. Time, yeah. Speaking of time being relative, the last dance, only like going on the timeline, is is messing the whole thing up. I feel like they could have just referenced the thirty for thirties, the bad boys, and Rodman's thirty for thirty gotten a few quick takes from everyone else but then go to the 98 season where we're supposed to be and i want to hear more about jordan running around vegas trying to find rodman i want to hear well yeah you're starting you're seeing that on social media that people want a two-hour documentary just about that that scene of michael jordan tracking uh dennis rodman down in vegas but i i definitely agree with you i think it's not that it's a complaint but the timeline is hard to follow, but kind of the saving grace, I think, for this documentary is no matter what they're showing, it's still cool. Yeah, it, so, it's always like, high quality. Complain. Yeah, and and everything they do is, is interesting, but the timeline is a little hard to follow. Like you're in, you know, January of 1992, one second, and then all of a sudden you're in November of, of 97, which um, is, is a little bit hard to follow. And it, it usually takes me a couple seconds for it to register. They're like, all right, we're moving here. Mm-hmm. But regardless of what I'm watching, though, like there hasn't been even a, a two minute stretch of these four episodes where I've been like, yeah, this is kind of disappointing. I've never been bored. I've never, yeah, no, I've never really been bored, been bored by it. I also think uh, I they skipped like they skipped a year from Jordan and from Pippen's rookie year. And they lose to the they lose to the Pistons in the Eastern Finals. Then they then they also don't make the finals the next year. And then they beat the Pistons. They sort of they mm. sort of just skipped an entire year. Um, would have would have liked to see that. Uh, but you know, still, it's not like I'm not entertained. You could do you could do a twenty hour documentary on it or documentary series. I'd watch it. I just I feel like we're not getting. It's it's weird for me to say I don't think we're getting our money's worth for when we're when it's a ten hour documentary series, but I don't think we're getting all our money's worth. Really? So you're a little disappointed with I it. I just I I want it I, I'm not gonna give it an A. If, wow, that's interesting because that's a that's a pretty unique opinion there. I'd, I'd, I'd give it a B. Yet. I'd give it a B. I think it's it's doing it's entertaining. It's it's top. It's almost top notch. But these these little mistakes and these little voids of of information that I wish were there of things that definitely happened, and I want to know what happened. And I guess that's just yeah, like that's interesting. You know, maybe that that's private information, but it doesn't seem like it right now. So uh, yeah, it's a, I'm not like I'm not disappointed. I'm just saying it's it's not all it could be. That's interesting. One thing I do like about it, and this, this could be nitpicky, and this could also be something that, that people disagree with or they don't really find it the case. 
I like that when they're going to these interviews with Jordan and Pippen and, and Rodman, and even to a lesser extent with uh, Isaiah Thomas in, in the last couple of episodes, I like the way when they're flashing to these interviews, they're letting the guys talk. You know, it's not like a three second soundbite. You're let, they're like letting it run for like 30 seconds, 45 seconds, which I like because, you know, it gives it a more authentic feel because you're hearing it in their words. It's not just, you know, B-roll and the highlights mm. of Jordan and then you, uh, three second soundbite from Magic Johnson going like he was great. Or, and then Larry Bird saying, oh, that's God disguises Michael Jordan. Like, it, it wasn't anything like that. You're letting these guys talk. And I think it really makes it um, more impactful when you're hearing it through all of these guys' voice and they're really being allowed to talk. Yeah, I agree. You know who I wish would be allowed to talk is Con- Tony Kukoc. I mean, we're talking about Rodman held the team together while Pippen was out. Let's talk about Kukoc averaging 15-6-6 and six and six during that span and during the season even. I mean, he was an integral part of that team. And it seems like, according to the documentary, it was Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, and Harper and Kerr. It's, it, I mean, Kukoc was way... So you, you don't you don't like that your Croatian buddies there is getting a little bit uh, swept under the rug. I mean, it's not even Croatian buddy. I've seen it from people who are not even close to Croatian. It's just, it, you know, it's... It, if we're going to tell the story of this last dance, please tell all of it. You know, I, I don't think if you're going to ask anyone on that team, who do you need more, Kerr or Kukoc, I think almost everyone would say, except for a clutch situation where you need a jump shot, Kukoc. Wow. That's not a hot okay. take. Wow. Kerr did not average fourteen or fifteen and six and six. Like that's it's not wow. It's I, not I, a hot again, take. This is this is just this is just stuff that I haven't heard yet. Listen, if there's one thing but I you're absolutely right. I mean, it, Kerr's whole time in Chicago, he's a single digit scorer. So I definitely if there's one thing I am making a legitimate. If there's claim. one thing I am, it's original. Well, yeah. yeah, that's for sure. Definitely. Speaking of original. I'm actually, like, I, I know we're going to move on to NFL draft stuff, and the last dance is kind of just, you know, to open up, and it's what everybody's talking good about. Banter. But Yeah, I'm, wow. I'm, I'm kind of speechless after hearing that. What, what part surprises you? I, I think it's, I, I think it's, I think a, le- part that it's a legitimate request to want to, uh, to, to want them not to breeze over, like, Vegas or – the year between um, Collins, that one year of Collins where they, like, we see that they went to the Eastern and lost. Then we had, there was another year of Collins. And then there was Jackson where they lost to the Pistons again. Like, what happened? I, I just think at the end of the day, like, if he goes in, if the directors go into detail about everything that we want and – as an audience, we were clamoring for these little bit of side stories. And I'm, I'm more talking about like the Rodman Vegas thing, like the, that extra season with Doug Collins is not an extra tidbit. I definitely see what you're well, saying. Well, my thing but, too I is mean, like, they then could, you're, then you're talking about like a 15 well, hour you could, documentary. You, I mean, it seems to me like they should have just made a documentary about the dynasty and then made the documentary about the final season. Well, yeah, I definitely get it. Again, I talked about this on the show last week where you have that that interview with the director on The Athletic, and he said the whole reason that this, you know, kind of documentary is a is an idea started was because they had that whole uh, last season worth of footage of the cameraman embedded that hadn't been unearthed yet. So I think they, they wanted to, to find a way where they could balance it in between the two. Yeah, I think I and I think they're doing a pretty good job. I just wouldn't say it's an A plus. And the, I think I agree with you. I think they are doing a great job, but there are these little kind of side stories that you're like, Oh, I would I would have liked to have had, you know, a little bit more on that. The Rodman Vegas story, obviously a lot they, of people they had a lot yeah, more. I mean, on they that. have the clock of him like oh, he had forty eight hours at, where he was uh, not with the team. And then he went over that 40 hours and Jordan chased him down. Well, like, what happened during those 48-plus hours? What happened in the, uh, in the 36 hours where Jordan had to hunt him down? Did, did Rodman know he was he, – like, what was Rodman like? Was Rodman just like, 
hallucinating like like yeah the, it's so it's these things that just i and plus the ku coach thing um it all comes back to well, Tony Kukoc. I just I just don't understand that. Uh, yeah. The last thing I'll say about it, and then you can give any closing thoughts, or we can move on to the draft. Um, uh, Phil Jackson is one of the most like mercurial figures in NBA history, just because like he is such like an interesting guy with all of the the beliefs on the side. You know, the whole Zen Master nickname that he's acquired. So even though it was pretty brief and it wasn't tremendously detailed. It was cool to get a little bit of background on Phil oh, Jackson. Oh, I love that. Know, the beginnings. I love that. Yeah. And, like, getting Puerto Rican League uh, footage, I'm masterful. That was another thing that people were like, we need another two-hour documentary on mm-hmm. its own, was the, the Puerto Rican Basketball League. Yeah. I, I mean, also, I wouldn't say Phil, Phil Jackson became mercurial in the public eye when he took over as president for the Knicks. But up until then, I don't think he was – incredibly uh divisive as a figure when i mean mercurial and and yeah i I guess you're probably using it in the more accurate sense i just like he's he's so interesting Mm. there's so many layers to fair enough and that's more what i meant you were probably using the word accurately and i wasn't but i i just mean like he's so interesting so to hear about some of those the the discussion he had with Rodman about some of the Native American tradition like that that was just fascinating yeah. because he is such a successful guy but he's he's he marches to the beat of his own drum and I, it's something I respect him for. yeah yeah uh, I respect him I respect him for it as well uh, do not necessarily respect him for his work as uh, Nick's president though he did take Frankie Smokes. He did he take it, and that's something some people thought that, that they can never they take thought away from he him. He might be a reach, uh, but honestly, he's the best player the Knicks have ever seen. So, wow, wow, your words not mine. Yeah. But Patrick Ewing might have something to say. Bernard King might have Who? something to say. Clyde Frazier might have Who something are these to guys? say. Yeah, never heard of him. In case you didn't know, the NBA started in, in 2015. <laughs> so, pretty short history. So, Speaking you know, of reaches, gotta... the Eagles reached at the 21st pick for Jalen Rieger with Justin Jefferson on the board. What were your thoughts when that pick came in, Brendan Myers? Um, yeah, moving on to the NFL draft. My thoughts – immediately went to, wow, I know how much Declan wanted Justin Jefferson. So the fact that he was on the board and they did not take him, I know he's going to be losing his mind. I FaceTimed you right after they made that pick. Again, like we were having this, this discussion off air. Like I don't like saying that these are bad picks and this kid's the worst because at the end of the day, he's never played it down in the NFL. So it'd be you know foolish to write him off before ever seeing him, let alone in rookie mini camp or training camp. But I, I do think – that with Justin Jefferson on the board and he ultimately got taken one pick later by Minnesota, that Jalen Rager is always going to be compared with Justin Jefferson because Justin Jefferson seemed to be that consensus or as much of a consensus as it could be among Eagle fans that you guys needed a wide receiver. So Justin Jefferson seemed to be the most likely answer. I mean, Jalen Rager can absolutely burn. I was watching a clip of him against Oklahoma State. He ran a stop and go route. And I mean, I just feel bad for the defensive back. And, and Jalen Rager showed good ball skills trying to, you know, track it and get the foot down in bounds. I think, I think he's got talent. I think Justin Jefferson might be a little bit more polished as a wide receiver when it comes to the route tree and stuff like that. But, I mean, you got Jalen Rager gives you speed on the outside. And, and you know, hope if he stays healthy, that's a weapon for Jalen Hurts to use because Jalen Hurts is now the Eagles starting mm. quarterback. That's um, – we're that's talking about, far. of course, Jalen Hurts' Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, Jalen – I mean, so, okay, so I think this goes into the discussion of what did the GM see. I don't think – I think Rieger's a top five receiver in the draft. Um, well, I mean, you got Ruggs, Judy, CeeDee Lamb, Justin Jefferson. I like Higgins, actually, at five. And then Rieger, uh, it, I don't think it was a huge reach. You need that. You need a play. You need a receiver first and foremost. 
you're looking for a playmaker. I think they were – I think the Eagles front office was too drawn in by the narrative of another exciting, as you said, burner of a player. Uh, his father played in Philly. All these things where it's – I think they thought it – they thought it was a great fit. I don't know necessarily if you should always be drafting for fit. I think you should be drafting for the best player at the position that you have a need. And I don't think Rieger's the best player then and there. Uh, while he can play on the outside and Jefferson's primarily a slot receiver, I, Jefferson has shown ability to, to uh, go out to the outside on his routes. I think you could develop him there. I I'm not a big uh, receiver specialist guy. We see how receiver specialists perform, and they're always only specialists. You look at Ted Ginn, Devin Hester; these guys get drafted as receiver specialists, and like, oh, he can return, but he's also good uh, on the outside, and they're only ever just good as returners. And returning's dead in the NFL now. So it just it I didn't like the pick too much. Um it's not something I'm gonna harp on. I'll obviously give him a shot, but it was a need and he plays the position. Uh so I think it, it works. The Jalen Hurts pick makes no sense. Um it's one of those moves where it's like we need secondary we need offensive line reinforcements we need linebacker reinforcements we need a we could use another wide receiver Devin DuVernay Darnell Mooney were on the board at that at in the second round and we don't take any of them and we take a quarterback uh who needs a year to develop so it's not like he would even be an applicable backup right away uh he needs that year to develop at least I just, the Eagles, if the Eagles crazy, crazily enough, crazy enough, Eagles did not have the most questionable draft of 2020, but they are in my top three, most questionable. Yeah. And it's funny because this is something we were talking about after the draft or after, you know, all seven rounds, is that the Eagles do have a couple of mid-round picks that you're like, oh, he could be something. Like, I look at Sean Bradley at a temple at the linebacker spot. Prince Tegel Wanahu, the offensive tackle out of Auburn, was was a project, definitely um, a consensus project. But Jack a lot Driscoll of I like as well. Kayvon Wallace is such a good yeah. pick. I mean, a, a three-year starter at Clemson, a captain. He, I, I just think – and that he fits what we want to do defensively, like – that is a really good pick, but you have this. You have these yeah, first two you rounds. You have the mid-round picks that you're like, you know, these are solid. But then you just look and you're like, what the heck were you guys doing in the first two rounds? Because, all right, like everybody's like, oh, they're going to turn Jalen Hurts into uh, Taysom Hill. I think Taysom Hill and what he does with New Orleans gets a little bit overstated. Like they use him in a lot of creative ways. But it's not like he's going in there and throwing 10 passes a game. Like, I think he's thrown less than 20 career passes. So I think all these teams, you know, saying, oh, they're going to turn him in. You don't – you wouldn't use a second-round pick on, on, on Jalen Hurts if you thought he was going to beat Taysom yeah. Hill. Yeah, uh, I think – and Hurts doesn't have the physical gifts that Taysom Hill has. He doesn't have the build. Of, like, Taysom Hill is a jackhammer. Jalen Hurts is not. Jalen Hurts – I mean, I think in terms of muscle mass, Taysom Hill appears to be double the muscle mass of Jalen Hurts. It's, I think it's, it was just an an absurd pick that made no sense. It ruined my Friday. Um, but I once again, insane how this doesn't how the Eagles with those two in the first pick, you can let it go. Uh, with Jalen Rieger, that's not necessarily a mistake. The second round pick, you can definitively say that's a mistake. The third round pick, questionable of Davion Taylor. Uh, he'd only played football for uh, 
like competitively for I believe two three years. They just love the speed. Uh, questionable draft, not the worst for me. The most questionable draft was the Packers. I don't know if you agree. Well, I'll, I just want to give one closing thought on the Eagles before we move into the Packers. When you when you have a second round pick, that player is expected to be a starter and a pretty mm. capable starter, if or at least a, a strong round, rotational I, I, player. Right, somebody who contributes to your team. And again, I I have tremendous respect for Jalen Hurts. I think he's a good football player, but I don't see the Eagles getting a second round value, especially you know you look at the NFC East. The Eagles is, you know, they have a bunch of holes, but they're a player or two away from winning it because the division's just that wide open. And Dallas had, Dallas a, good had draft, a great so, draft. And the, and the Eagles didn't. So you certainly have to say that the that the Cowboys are the favorites right now. No doubt. East, no doubt. Now, yeah, sorry. Now, now shifting over to Green Bay, um, Aaron Rodgers, one of the best quarterbacks to play the position, career – not not winding down, but he's on the other side of the hill. And you figure with the defense they have in place, they finally have a good running game with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. You think they're going to start to give him a playmaker or two on the outside, particularly with the, the wide receiver depth in this draft. But instead, they go Jordan Love, quarterback out of Utah State. And you see people saying, oh, this is pretty much what they did with, with no. Favre and Aaron Rodgers and, and this transition. No, I, don't, I don't see it not. like that. Because the – the Packers have a good enough roster where they're a couple of playmakers away from legitimately mm-hmm. contending for a Super Bowl. So now you spend your first two picks, you pick Jordan Love and then another running back in the second round. So you build on two strengths that you have when there's other holes that you're probably a player or two away, an impact player from, you know, a real chance at a Super Bowl. I have no idea what the it Packers no were sense. thinking. And again, it's, it's no insult on Jordan Love. He could be a damn good quarterback for all I know. I think anybody pretends to say that they, they have the inside track on what's going to be a quarterback and what's not is an idiot because nobody knows if it was that easy. Uh, GMs wouldn't get fired. But I think Jordan Love could be a decent quarterback. But to me, the Packers really the, goofed I, this one up. 37 or, yes, yeah, I believe 37 uh, wide receivers were drafted. None taken by the Packers, who have an extreme need at that position. Say what you want about the Eagles. At least they took receivers, and they need them. The, yeah. yeah you they chose the wrong that, you know, guys, hey, but at least, at least you know, they yeah. can play that position. You don't even – the two positions, the two positions that the Packers don't need any shoring up at, any reassurance at, are the two positions – which they take in the first two rounds. Jordan Love, A.J. Dillon. You have Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. You don't need another running back. You have Aaron Rodgers. Why are you drafting a quarterback? Drew Brees, 41 years old, just signed a huge deal, and the Saints are all in for another year. Aaron Rodgers is 36. He probably has at least three premier premier years left. Uh or at least the level where he's at right now, which I think is very good. I'm not sure if he's still necessarily premier if you look at his numbers. However, he's still going to be a top five, top seven quarterback in the league for the next three years, and you draft, and you don't help him out at all. The tight end you draft is 6'2". Good luck, have, good luck finding him in the middle of the field. Uh, the offensive linemen that they drafted – aren't aren't necessary they didn't blow up anyone's numbers uh and they sort of added some talent on defense nothing nothing crazy them it was it was the biggest shocker of all time not of all time i think one of the biggest shockers of my lifetime in the in the nfl draft i will say this to everyone saying uh it's like the packers choosing Rodgers when they had Favre it's very different for the pure sake of Aaron Rodgers was a a top two quarterback in that draft Aaron Rodgers was never labeled a project Aaron Rodgers was supposed to go top 10 in the draft 
Packers had the 24th pick. The Packers sat and they thought we had this is a talent like no other. We got to take him. They thought the same thing with Jordan Love, except they traded up to take him. They traded away a fourth rounder. Uh, and Aaron Rodgers doesn't have the injury history that Brett Favre does. Brett Favre, while he had he used to hold the record for most consecutive starts, he was on painkillers. He was addicted to painkillers, not even on painkillers every game. He had an addiction to painkillers. He was he was further down the hill than Rodgers was. Uh, Jordan Love is way more of a project than Rodgers was. The Packers had way more weapons on offense then than they did now. When they drafted Rodgers, they had Donald Driver. They had uh, Bubba Franklin. They had all these guys. And Packers have who – is, who is Aaron Rodgers throwing to besides Devontae Adams? Ger- Geronimo Allison, he was injury prone the whole year. Yeah, I, th- I think the Packers had a great opportunity to add a couple of playmakers, and they really elected not to. It, are the Packers your worst draft? Yes, partly because – so they didn't address their needs. The offensive linemen they drafted uh, – I think they – I mean, they could have a shot. The, the Packers in the past with different with a different front office, essentially, did a great job drafting – late in the draft offensive linemen. Um, I don't I don't necessarily hate the defensive additions, but the first honestly the first three picks make make no sense. You needed a tight end, but you drafted a, a basically a fullback. Everyone's projecting Josiah Deguera as a fullback. Um, I'd say the only other like it's Packers and Falcons for me. But at least, once again, at least the Falcons addressed the positions they need help at. They need help all on the defensive side of the ball, and they got it. The Packers just made no mm-hmm. sense to me. Sorry, go ahead. I've been talking for like five minutes. No, uh, again, I don't want to use the word worse. Did I again, use the word worse? As I mentioned okay. earlier. No, no, I'm I, no, because yeah. I phrase the question. I need that, that the word guy. So I'm correct. Yeah, so you could chill out with your getting defensive. Sorry. You know, I'm a sensitive. The, I'm a sensitive man. But, All right. But pers- personally, I did not like Oakland's draft that much. They they took Henry Ruggs, who you know, bona fide playmaker, no doubt. But with Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb both still on the board, I probably would have went with Jerry Judy. But again, you know that that's semantics. That's you know that's a preference thing. Raiders love speed. That's that's Ruggs just ingrained in their culture. You know, yeah, power to you. But then they have another first-round pick, and they go Damon Arnett, which to me n- nobody had an answer for, is why um, Damon Arnett was taken back when... out of Ohio State. Again, not not necessarily a bad player, mm-hmm. but like, I'm watching the highlights on, on ESPN, uh, that the, like the little package they put together when all the players get drafted. Every single one of the players was pass interference. Like he had a he had a handful of the jersey on. And every refs play. aren't and, and refs aren't Ohio wow. State refs in the NFL. Yeah, and like again, I'm not gonna hold it against them because obviously Ohio State has produced a lot of good cornerbacks, but like he was playing opposite Jeff Okuda, who was always locking down a team's best um, receiver. Now, is it unfair to punish him and and critique him for playing opposite uh, a top three pick? Probably. But but still, like I just would have liked to seen them gone with with another cornerback or defensive back. But this wasn't that deep of a draft. I, I will certainly give Oakland that. But then you know their next pick is, is Lynn Bowden, who you know SEC guy played running back, quarterback, and wide receiver for Kentucky, which which is almost ridiculous to say. And you're you're thinking I'm going to make it up, but uh, an injury for Kentucky he had to play essentially wildcat quarterback, but did a lot of throwing. But like. I, you just got to yeah. feel like Oakland's got other needs, right? Like you, you can't just keep putting guys on the edge. At some point, you got to build from the interior. Brian Edwards, I do think, is a good pick because he's a big wide receiver who can kind of eat up catches, which is fine. Give Derek Carr a red zone weapon. But then basically he just 
Mayak well, and John took, I mean, he took, Clemson yeah, play. two straight Clemson Works. players, Tanner Muse and Johnson, which I – listen, if you're if you're going to take from a program, take from the Clemson, Alabama, LSU, Ohio State. But right. that being said, yeah, yeah that yeah. being said, Absolutely. the the Damon Arnett pick is questionable, especially with uh, Noah Igo Berene. Hope I got that right uh, on the board. Yeah, and again, Igboane is probably a little bit more of a project. My, I think Miami ended up taking him, but Oakland obviously the not a ton of, of picks here. Yeah, but their picks were all in the first four rounds. I just they I don't. Yeah, I I don't think they used it too wisely. Um, and then their last pick is a five eight cornerback, which I'm I'm not going to hold it against them. Um, but you, you're kind of limiting, and I think when when you don't have a ton of draft picks, like especially in the first four rounds, I I I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think uh, Oakland could have done more with with I their think that's limited picks. a fair criticism. Maybe they're looking at a Meek Robertson, like he might do something on special teams, be that or be a nickel guy. We'll see. I, it's not a draft mm-hmm. that I hate. I wouldn't put it in my. Again, they had some needs and they they filled some of those needs, but right. yeah, it's nothing. It's not a draft that after we flip it to our favorite drafts, that I'm gonna put up there or even close. It's just sort of like, whatever. Yeah, because you look at what the Raiders have had over the past two years, and you know maybe I am holding this against them as well, but they're. Three picks last year. Josh Jacobs obviously is stunned, right? Like, no questioning that. But then their other two, Jonathan Abram, who was hurt most of the season, but and then Cleveland Furl, who was a little bit disappointing. So I, I just think that the, the Raiders haven't really maximized on their draft picks. And by taking Damon Arnett in the first round, I think it, it's just yeah. a little bit risky. So, th- so that's why I don't like it. But again, like the the problem with predicting drafts is that none of these guys have, have played a down in in mini camp yet. So I I don't like saying that they're the worst drafts or you know I don't I would not go as far as say Damon Arnett's a bad player. It's just like what I grade drafts and evaluate drafts on is like were they reaching for picks and I get the impression yeah, that the I Raiders go were I try to go by basically the Buffalo Bills GM's uh, standard, which was can they flat out play football? He said. Uh, with mm-hmm. the lack of combines or workouts, you got to go by what you see on film. And that's what the Bills did. They said, listen, we don't care if their numbers are that bad. You know, if they didn't have a good 40 time, if, uh, if their agility wasn't on point mm-hmm. that day. But when we watch the film, can they ball? And that's, I think that's what you had to do in this draft when we talked about it in our preview episode. We had mentioned uh, it's yeah. probably going to be a lot more uh, major conference teams getting their players drafted because the lack of uh, workouts and combines. I like what the Bills did. They, every guy they took, I think, can actually play. Uh, and I feel like too many teams this draft didn't necessarily do that. But so who are your three – sorry, and, and say whatever you say, but who are your three most questionable drafts? Yeah. I was gonna, three most questionable? All right, I'm, I'm going to go Eagles for the sure. The first just two because picks. Because they, they reached – yeah, and literally just because of that. Um, I, I'm going to go Oakland just because I – I just mentioned it, and, Not and I'll the go Packers. with Atlanta as my number three. Because uh, here's my thing. The Eagles uh, the yeah, Eagles, I'll, I'll throw, I'll throw at the least in, but... took players who play the positions they need help at. Cause the, the thing with Green Bay, right, is, like, I know how bad it the optics are is that the, the Packers with a good roster um, already trying to, you know, get the success for – successor for Rodgers but like if Jordan Love turns into a bona fide stud for for the next eight to ten years like you're not going to be looking at this draft at the 2020 draft saying oh what the heck were the Packers doing so like it it's just on that hypothetical situation that I am actually fair not enough put the fair Packers enough bottom three I'm yeah 
Because, like, I don't, you cannot underestimate the importance of having a stable franchise quarterback. So the fact that they saw their guy and, and said, you know, we think this is, this is the future, do I like it? No. But on the prospects that it could work out long term for them, uh, I'm not going to include them Fair in my enough. work draft. But in the same vein, if Jordan Love ends up being a bust, like you're going to look at the Packers 2020 draft and be like, man, like they were a guy or two away from, you know, winning the NFC and getting to the Super Bowl. And Fair enough. Fair enough. So uh, favorite drafts, I got to say your guy, Dave Gettleman, he didn't do too shabby. Well, well, here's the thing, right? Is Dave Gettleman, the aspect of his tenure as general manager of the Giants, the strength has been drafting. That's not to say every player's been a, a resounding success. There's always going to be questions about whether he should have taken Saquon Barkley um, at two overall in his first draft and whatnot. But, you know, Daniel Jones showed the promising signs, blah, blah, blah. It's a different story for a different day. We're talking about the 2020 NFL draft. Him and Joe Judge go out and they say, number four, we're going to take a um, we're going to take a tackle. Now we talked on the pre-draft show deck. Andrew Thomas was not who I had at my number one, but I do respect why they went with Andrew Thomas. He is the true left tackle. He's the most polished. You have Tristan Wirfs, who was the guy that I wanted. Tristan Wirfs was primarily a right tackle until his last season at Iowa. So if they wanted to rule him out for that reason, I I completely understand that. I respect Andrew Thomas. Comes from a great program at Georgia. And then I love what they did in the second round because do the, did the Giants necessarily need a safety? Was that a pressing issue? No, and especially when you had other edge rushers like Yitor Gross Matos and A.J. Epinesa still on the board. But instead they say, Xavier McKinney from Alabama, dude's a top 15, top 20 talent. We need to take him. He's the best player on the board. So I have a lot of respect for the Giants doing that. And then as you moved into the later rounds, they, they added some more beef. Those the are the picks line. I like. You, know, you get a guy, Shane Lemieux, from, yeah, from Oregon, which is fine. There's, there's already talks that Shane Lemieux might be trained as center. I wouldn't hold out for that just because you don't know what the situation is going to be with, with training camp, and I don't know how much time he's going to have to work with the first team and anything like that regarding a transition to center from guard. So I'm not, like, I'm not locking that in. But then he basically, Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge say, we're just going to add speed to the secondary which if you watch the Giants, obviously they have their offensive line problems. They have problems all over the field, but their secondary has just been getting absolutely torched. So now you bring in James Bradbury. You got last year's first-round pick, DeAndre Baker, who's in there, Sam Beal, Corey Ballantyne. Uh, Sam Beal, if he can stay healthy, showed signs. Corey Ballantyne showed signs after he got healthy last year. And then now you add a couple of guys into the secondary who you know could, could be much-needed depth for the Giants. And one thing you absolutely can say about the Giants is they have not had depth since Dave Gettleman took over. It was just the way Jerry Reese built the roster. A lot of money going to a very few players. They really couldn't get much depth. But now the uh, the cupboards are starting to be replenished. And that's why I like the Giants draft. Is I'm it not in your go top five It's the best draft ever. But of this draft? Uh, like, uh, no, like of a the Giants 2020 draft, draft. I've been alive for? Uh, yeah, but... Um, I attribute some of that to being a giant fan and saying, you know what, this looking at this draft, analyzing it definitely gives you hope. Yeah. So you, you definitely could say that, but I, I think objectively, yeah, speaking, I think, this listen, draft was, was viewed pretty well. I'm a well. big fan of just overloading depth, uh, defensively, but while you, while you have a team forming, I think I've always believed that you know, the backbone of a great team is is a good, if not great, defense. Of course, that great defense can come out situationally, uh, such as the Patriots in some years, have not been, quote-unquote, great for 80 yards of the field, but that last 20 yards, that red zone, they are staunch. Uh, I, I love overloading yeah. the depth that they did, they back ended that, and I think you addressed the need you had with within your first five picks. You got three offensive linemen. That's great. Um, I like it a lot. I think there. When I look at this draft, there are a lot of teams that addressed issues 
really well. I like the I liked the Cardinals draft. I don't think they thought Isaiah Simmons would fall to them at eight in the first round, but he did, and they did not hesitate taking him. Then they get an offensive tackle, which you need. The Arizona's line was not superb last year, and then you keep adding defensive talent and then spend a late pick on a on a running back project. I'm fine with that. I I like it even. I think the Panthers, who just said defense, defense, defense all throughout the draft, every seven for seven, I love that. Seven for seven. Uh, you identify, especially when you have a team that, you know what, you're trying to quasi-rebuild, right? You, you know, Or not quasi-rebuild, semi-rebuild. You're not destructing your team all the way. Uh, you're not tearing it down, but – because in part because you have a Christian McCaffrey who there is a clock set on, you know, so you have to just reload. Yeah. And what better way to do that than just bring in a bunch of talent or just a bunch of a bunch of options? I like, I like uh, the Vikings draft especially. Talk about talk about options for the Vikings. Justin Jefferson at twenty two. I what a steal. Um, definitely gives them another option with being gone. Yeah, especially with uh, Stephon Diggs. He can learn from Thaline. Yeah. He's gonna be great. You got Gladney off of CB. I, I'm always a fan of adding depth to the secondary, especially in the this uh this phase of the league we're in now, where you need a nickel, you need a dime. You can never have enough good corners or good secondary players. Um. And football is a game mm-hmm. where you get hurt. There's going to be injuries. Like, and like it, I think Nate Stanley in the seventh round is going to be hurt. a fantastic backup QB in this league. I mean, watching him at Iowa, pro-style offense, playing in a bruise-em-up league, and he can handle it. Um, there's, there's two picks that stick out to me for Minnesota. I think Ezra Cleveland in the second round, a, a terrific pick out of Boise State, and then Troy Dye in the fourth round from Oregon. I cannot believe he slipped that far. And, you know, Mike Zimmer's a defensive guy. I think he's going to have I mean, a lot you look fun, at all the options uh, that this draft gave Dye. Mike Zimmer. You have you have the secondary picks, but yeah, you have the Wanham. You have James you have James Lynch, you have Troy Dye. You, you know, it's just talk about riches. And one thing too, you're talking about Yeah, their third round pick Cameron Dantzler, Jamar Chase who's going to be probably the first receiver uh taken at a next year's draft, another LSU guy. Cameron Dantzler was one of the only guys. Justin Jefferson, I think, had like 60 yards receiving when they played Mississippi State. So a, a guy that, you know, needs to play with his hands a little bit less, he definitely could get called for some flags. But, you know, if he gets the, the right tutelage, which you think Mike Zimmer could do for him, yeah, totally, Cameron Dantzler totally. could be a terrific I, You know, also, in our preview episode, we were talking about how dysfunctional franchises would be the would be the x factor would determine how this draft went and i i you know what hat in hand foot in mm-hmm. mouth i'm coming back to say i may be wrong i i called the jaguars i called jacksonville a dysfunctional franchise and i i love their draft you get cj henderson at 9 a bit of a reach but Listen, go for it if you really like him. He's he was definitely the number two corner, no question about it. Guy's gonna be able to play. You get Kilavon Chasen mm-hmm. at twenty eight or twenty? Twenty, yeah, twenty. Like I could no twenty, twenty. Arguably like still, the best edge in the draft. Far, though. Uh other I mean, unless you consider Chase Young an edge, which I suppose you could. But I Well I yeah, yeah Ch- it was Ch- Chase uh, and Young, and then everybody else. Then you got you got wide receiver. You need like you need everything, and they didn't have a bad. I I don't think they drafted a bad player. I don't think at one point I'm like ah they could have gotten someone better. I think I'm looking at all all these guys. You drafted needs. Uh, you got an offensive lineman in there, but especially once again defense. He, their defense is going to be strong, especially after the past two years where Doug Marone has screwed the pooch. Pardon my French. I don't even know if that's a bad expression. 
Um, screwed the pooch I've used since I was like no, eight years old. So liberal snowflakes would call me out for you're it. Chilling. Jokes, jokes, jokes. Um, we love snowflakes. Uh, but I, I love, once again, I apologize. Dysfunctional franchise. I, I, I was wrong. Same, similar thing with the Bengals. I will say the Browns did not have as good of a draft as I had hoped they would have. I think they should have addressed. I, I like the Jedrick Wills at I mean, 10. I think they should have addressed the offensive line a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they did get Del Pitt in their second, with their second-round pick, so that, yes, that's probably definitely. good value for that. Um, I, could, I could see how you're a little bit disappointed. I, my, the Cleveland Browns, to me, are the ultimate definition of it doesn't matter how good you are on the outside. If you're not built strong in the middle of the field on both sides, you're not going anywhere. Because uh, Baker Mayfield couldn't do anything because his offensive line wasn't, wasn't up to par last year. doesn't matter if you got Odell, Jarvis Landry, and Jerry Rice on the field at the same time. If Baker Mayfield doesn't have time mm-hmm. to throw him the ball, you're not doing anything. So I, I definitely see um, one. This is the last draft that I particularly liked, and it's because I think it makes a lot of sense. And it's a team that yep. doesn't always have the best shot. I really like what Denver did. They they take Jerry Judy at 15, giving Drew Locke, who showed a lot of promise last year, a weapon. And then all of a sudden, second round comes around, K.J. Hamler flying under the radar, big-time playmaker from Penn State. Talk about a specialist receiver, but the difference between what, what Denver did and what Philadelphia did with the specialist receiver and Rager is that Denver has Cortland Sutton, and then they drafted Judy. So those are two guys that, that can be on the outside opposite each other. So then you could get K.J. Hamler in space in the middle, deep downfield, get him the ball in space, yards after catch. But then in the third round, they get Lloyd Cushenberry, the center out of LSU, and that's a guy that you know Drew Locke can start to form that chemistry with. So I think – when you have these franchise quarterbacks on their rookie contracts, I think it's so important to get that depth and that talent around them. That's one thing I think John Elway did. And it's one thing that I think Elway did because he understands what it's like to be a franchise quarterback and what a franchise quarterback wants around him, you know? And, and it's certainly logical to be like, Oh, if I was, if I was playing right now, I'd want Jerry Judy, uh, KJ Hamler Mm. after getting the ball snapped by Lloyd Cushenberry. Like, so it just seems logical and I, I like yeah, Denver I think, trying to build Especially with a guy, a guy like Drew Locke, who, I mean, I don't think I'm, – I'm not convinced he is for sure the guy. I think – yeah, but once again, I think he showed enough poise and absolutely. promise to be like, absolutely. go for it. And I think I think the same thing with Gardner yep, Minshew absolutely. Absolutely. In, in Jacksonville is like, let's give you pieces. Um, I Yeah, I like what Denver did. I like what Washington did, but I don't think it was – crazy again Washington's one of those Washington's one of those franchises where it's you're so messed up you really couldn't you you would be hard pressed to mess it up really liked what Miami did I think uh as I said Noah Igba Nagone there we go uh I think he's going to be developed into a great corner opposite Byron Jones you also get you get an offensive tackle which you need to guard your franchise quarterback uh Tua, and then you just you get another offensive lineman, and then you just go defense, 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 basically till the end of the draft. I loved Malcolm Perry at Navy. I think I think that's a very strong draft. But yeah, the rich getting richer. Baltimore Ravens. What a draft! What a draft! I mean, you get Patrick Queen for Baltimore. Patrick Queen, who might be the best linebacker out of everyone at at twenty eight, and then J.K. Dobbins, who might be the best running back out of all of them at fifty five. the The Ravens, the Ravens might run for like two hundred fifty yards a game next season. Like when when Mark Ingram gets tired and Lamar Jackson, or you do a reverse with Devin Duvernay to J.K. Dobbins, like it, it. yeah, um, like Eric DaCosta just put out like Malik Harrison on the defensive side. Like everything Baltimore does, and I was actually having this discussion with with my friend. Everything Baltimore does is so calculated, and there's a reason that even before Lamar Jackson got there and Joe Flacco was still the quarterback, there's a reason Baltimore was always competitive, always hovering around 500, above 500, 
trying to sniff into the play. It's because they're always built solid inside. Like they're the opposite of the Browns, you know, like their skill positions might be lacking historically, not now their skill positions are on fire now, but they're always good in the trenches. Baltimore, yeah. you said about the rich get richer. And then their six round pick is James Prochet, a guy who, um, a, a really big play receiver at SMU. A lot of, you could, again, a specialist, he can really go deep. And gives Lamar yeah, Jackson I just think, another I mean, weapon to play. At, like, you it's, think it's about absolutely ridiculous. The Ravens in the past, at least in our lifetime, you had Haloti Nada uh, and Ray and Ray Lewis and Terrell Suggs. Just even Terrell mm-hmm. Suggs stuck along for way longer in his career than he should have even been relevant. He was still getting Pro Bowls at 32, 33. I mean, this guy was on, was on fire, and I think Ravens have continued. Oh, eh. Ball, ball uh, I, they continually do this really like the Cowboys draft wish the Cowboys draft with the Eagles draft if if you switch the Cowboys and Eagles draft I would be ecstatic because CD Lamb Trayvon Diggs Neville Neville, Neville Gallimore then you get another solid corner in Reggie Robinson you get a great center in Tyler Bidez, uh and then you just I mean, I'm not a big fan of Bradley Ine and Ben DiNucci, but, I mean, fifth and seventh round, I think that's fine. But, yeah, I think but but I th- Bradley yeah, the, the is first a great five, six picks, very solid for Dallas. And I, I think that's what really frustrates Eagles fans is, what, could we have traded up to get C.D. Lamb? Could we – well, that's the thing is that, you know, Dallas taking C.D. Lamb almost seemed like a troll towards Philadelphia, right? Like, like I think it was pretty much known that if C.D. Lamb wasn't taken by Dallas, that he was going to Philadelphia. So Jerry Jones was just like, you know, like, we'll, we'll pull one up there. We'll pull a fast one over our division rivals, which probably just kills at the Eagles fans. But you guys got it's Jalen also, Hurts as yeah, the quarterback now. There, there's should. worse things. I'm reaching through the, the internet connection to, to – spill your drink or annoy you in some way for that. I think for Jerry Jones especially, it might have just been a simple calculation as he is head and shoulders above everyone else in terms of talent right now. He like CD Lamb will be solid for I believe five years. I think he could... No, no I think above, above all the other receivers at that available. After, after, yeah, at the time of that draft. Oh, at the time. Yeah, no. So you're not. So Judy yeah. and Ruggs are not in this. Discussion. Yes, he's he's okay, like Judy yeah, right, Ruggs off the board, and it's you have CD Lamb still available. No one saw that coming. Um, plus, if if you're looking at, mm-hmm. I mean, listen, I love I love Chase on, but in terms of who's more talented, CD CD Lamb. It's insane the weapons they're giving Dak Prescott. I think it's genius to have given Dak Prescott that franchise tag now too, because it's it's a prove it year, mm-hmm. um, and it's we're giving you everything you need. Go ahead and prove it. Insane draft, uh, but yeah. Mm-hmm. It, if I had to say my favorites, I I think I go Vikings and Ravens. I really like the Giants, uh, but I'll put Jaguars. So Vikings, Ravens, Jaguars, Dolphins. And then it's a toss-up between Broncos and Giants for me. I'm just going to go – I'm going to keep it simple. I'm going to go Ravens, Cowboys, and Vikings. I'm not going to include the Giants because I don't want to come off like a homer. But definitely, definitely those three. Now, before we close out NFL draft talk, Declan, is it could be, you know, Chase Young at number two, could be Tay Crowder at Mr. Irrelevant with the last pick in the draft. Is there one pick that when you were watching that you were just like, oh my God, um, I absolutely love this because there was one for me? You know, I, I think it, it definitely could have been Chase Young at, at two. Let me, let me think about that. Who's yours? Mm hmm. Mine, third-round pick, Anthony Jennings, edge rusher from Alabama. He goes to New England. I think he was so underrated, but 
under like I think he got drafted around when he should have. Like I don't think he was a, a guy that fell per se, but I think Bill Belichick is is gonna have a field day with him. And I think Anthony Jennings, you know, you could you could see him getting seven or eight sacks in his rookie season. I think he he's gonna be one of those guys that like is just ridiculously overpowered in New England, but then like signs a free agent contract with the Bengals or something. Uh, doesn't do well and then ends up going back to New England, kind of like Jamie Collins did. But I think Anthony Jennings, I think he's a very underrated pass rusher. Again, probably got drafted around where he should have. I think the third round is fair for him. But I think Bill Belichick yeah, had a I'll, lot of fun with I'll Anthony Jennings. I'll tell you Jennings, what, I love – Defensive end uh, Alabama. I mean, you're going to hate me for saying that. I love Antoine Winfield Jr. at 45. I think he's got the poise – no, I mean, no, yeah, you're and then also, I mean, that, that's a guy with that, Homer sleeping, bias. So Saints okay. taking Zach Bond in the third round when he's definitely a second round talent. T. Higgins being taken at thirty. There's too many good picks for me to for me to choose just one. Uh, really like the Darnell Mooney pick by the by the Bears uh, coming out of. T- it's just one. None of just them. one. You got to pick one. Give, just one. Give me options or give me death. Really? Well, I, I think the theme of this draft, and, and you could say anything to close out this discussion before I move on to, to something else before we wrap up the show, but this draft just had so and much yet, talent that yeah. it, was, it was almost impossible to mess up, you know? Like, there's so many picks that you could just be like, oh, like, like Zach Bond. If you were watching on ESPN, was Mel Kuyper's best available for like forty-five picks and just kept falling. So like, it, it, not everything added yeah. up. Uh, but yeah, Zach Bond in the third it, round. It's funny because it's hard to mess up this draft, and yet some teams definitely messed up this draft. The, I is don't. That, is that a subtweet at your? I, I wouldn't say they screwed the pooch, but I'd say they. They they lock their keys inside their car. So you're just going with a different analogy again. My biggest thing with Jalen Hurts, second round pick. Don't know if you're ever going to get the production from him. That, uh, Any other closing thoughts no. on the draft before I move on? I th- I'm just. I really hope we have a season to watch these players. Speaking of which, seasons yeah, to watch players. Right there with you, Deck. Uh, before. Yeah, yeah. before we close out the show, um, that's two for two on segues for you tonight. Um, UEFA comes out this morning and gives all of the European soccer leagues. Now we're hopping across the pond, obviously talking a little uh, football, as they call it over there. Football is... Shouldn't have done that. I hate when people do that. It's, I Can't, mean... I, I, sh- I shouldn't have done that. But anyway... Uh, UEFA goes out to all the FAs and is like, you guys have until May 25th to submit your plans to to reopen. So that does not mean that the leagues are going to be starting on May 25th. It means that they need to um, submit their plans on what they obviously are planning to do by May 25th. Uh, this has come from Sky Sports over there in England. Uh, Brian Swanson, chief reporter. There will be another conference call with UEFA on May 27th, and that'll intend to reach a decision over whether European competition can be completed uh, I just in don't see it August. Happening. Deck, what are your thoughts? I think, I mean, they might do it without fans, but I don't, I don't see it happening. The French, the French league already announced that it's canceled. Um, same thing with the Dutch league. I, I'm guessing. Uh, mm-hmm. Britain will do the same. I think Italy's Italy's minds are so far off of football, probably that it's. I think, and same with Spain. It's. It, I think. I hate to say it, but I think the whole things. I hope the whole season's scrapped. Which I mean, hey, good for not good for Pep Guardiola. Obviously, condolences to his family. Yeah. No. This, yeah. This is good for yeah. nobody. I meant for more Pep, for like in his fight against the haters the that say he can never win uh, Champions League. You know, he, he, he could have won it this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the thing that I'm looking to right now is right, like, so there are a couple things. May 25th, obviously, is already yeah. after the Premier League should have ended, right? 
So, like, I, I think it's naive to say that, like, the, like, the players are obviously going to need a three- or four-week at the minimum training camp. Like, these players aren't just going to come back and be miraculously in shape to play at the highest level. And it wouldn't be fair to the athletes that if on, on May 25th they were like, yeah, the season's going to start uh, June 15th. Like, it's absolutely not fair. And I don't know what the situation is over there in, in England as far as, you know, unions. But I would imagine there's some type of player coalition. That oh, there, yeah, there is. There is uh, restarting I the league and, and some forget of the conditions what it's because... called, but uh, the the players' associations. I believe it might be called the players' association because they they went to uh, discuss with the EFA yeah. so, about about uh, about wages cut yeah. and what that would entail. So. Mm. Yeah, and because obviously the locker room is probably a nightmare as far as this thing spreading. So you're going to need ample amount of testing for the for the sports to come back, especially in Europe and America. Both are uh, looking for the same kind of thing. You need testing because the players are going to need to be tested pretty much every time they go in and out of the locker room to make sure that you know nobody on the team is carrying or contracted the virus. And the other thing too, like there is so Billions. much money on the line these clubs i feel like are gonna do everything they can to get these games and i'm not talking about liverpool winning the premier league right i'm talking about the three teams at the bottom of the premier league and i'm talking about the six teams that would have a chance to be promoted in the championship those teams there's hundreds tens Mm -hmm. however much it is of dollars on the line so like i i think right like if the it's set up in a different way than in America that like the NBA. Oh, we just, we, it's completely season, right. Different. Like every team is still in the NBA. You lose money, but every, every team is still in the NBA. They, there's no big cutoff, but if you're a team like Aston Villa in the premier league, who's, who's cutting it off, like Liverpool's fine winning the premier league, right? Cool. They're still going to be in it next year, but Aston Villa, who's probably going to lose a hundred million dollars to their wage budget if they get sent yeah. down to the championship, they're not going to be cool if the, if the league just ends. And I certainly understand their thought, but that's why it's so much more complicated over there because there's so much differing opinion. And it, it kind of sucks that money is the reason why they're, it, it's not a competitive spirit, communal spirit where they're like, we want to come back for, for everybody in our community. We want people back at, at Villa Park. Yeah, I don't pick it up. Like European Villa, championship in 1982. I'm more than say just, so. Yeah, I don't want to. Mm. I know we've yeah, Villa. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I do think. This, so I don't want them to feel uh, ostracized in any way. It's such a horrible, horrible situation to be to be in. I've seen multiple premises brought up where maybe you have, uh, maybe you start with 20, 26 teams, and then there's like a cutoff date. Maybe you have like a quick, a quick tournament to see who mm-hmm. goes down. Uh, it there's it's it's just a really crappy crappy situation to be in. I do think. Uh, I mean, I, it's I never thought we'd it get it. I remember when this all first came about, and I thought I'd be back in New York after leaving in a month, and now it's been a month and a half. Well, that's the thing. Like, we went home, and I was like, all right, I'll be home kind of three weeks. I thought it was going to get extended through Easter, and we were going to come back after Easter and kind of finish up the semester as normal. I I can speak for myself. Maybe I was naive, but I did not see this getting to this point at all where where sports are and, and life in general. Like, we're talking about sports. Yeah, I do think – yeah, on sorry. Shelf, but just I, life in general, absolutely. It's insane. I do is, believe is uh, if there were to – at this point – I I when this when it all began that sports were canceled and maybe they could do a no fans tournament uh, or a finish to the season without any fans in the stadium. First, I was like, hell no! How can you do such a thing? Now at this point, after seeing the reaction to the Last Dance and just about anything that's going on uh, in sports in general, I think uh, everyone would be totally fine with no fans being except maybe the players with no fans being in the stadiums and just having the games be played 
I am totally fine having that happen and just watching from my couch. Like, I just give me something. Yeah, one thing. One thing I think to keep an eye on is the is the German Bundesliga because to me they seem to be at the forefront of trying to get everything back up and running in Germany, which is interesting because it's also what, from what I've heard, it's also the league that has talked about going bankrupt the most. So it obviously makes sense that they're pushing it and they say, you know, we want to get. So I think if if you're looking for progress and you're looking to track to see, I think the Bundesliga has, has definitely become the front runner and they're kind of the leader for the pack on what the process is going to be to bring soccer back. And then I think once European soccer comes back, I, I basically think it's going to be one follows the other kind of the way that when everything closed down, the NBA closed down and then you started to see the others follow suit. I think it's going to be the same way coming back is that when, when the German soccer top division finds a way and says, we're going to do this, this, and this, we're going to take these precautions. I think then you're going to start to see the other leagues follow suit the same way. So again, just my main point <laughs> is that if you want to see the the return of sports, I think you should be following the Bundesliga because they not seem the, to really be not the taking Kazakhstan the bull by the horns. Whether they're wise or not remains because that's seen, still up and but running. They are the ones. Well, well, the Belarusian soccer league is also still up and running too. I I, I thought about bringing. I never ended I up would, bringing it up. Let's to you, do it. All right, next episode, the official Your podcast update of the Belarusian Belarus. soccer league. That's a that's a guarantee. Okay. Why not? I mean, you know, FC F, FC Minsk. Are we FC Minsk fans? Is that right our club? With, with three wins. We well, we must well, yeah, that, we, but we each have to have our own individual we'll Belarusian favorite club. We could. I'm fine with it, but here's Oh, the we thing. can't go it, on a united front? It, it must it I must think we be a team a that Neil Warnock the end would, show, would we'll manage. Do an update. Yeah, we want we want blue collar in your face, gritty. Uh, Listen, part, I'm ex- bucks, I'm excited. I'll tell you what, I'm excited for Dynamo Minsk. You've got to be willing Minx. to die for three. That's going to be one hell of a tilt. They they say it's Batman well, I mean, versus you know what they say Batman versus game, Batman. Right? From what, <laughs> and and especially especially because it's, you know FC Minsk is an eighth, Dynamo Minsk is a Slush ninth. looks like they're just gonna run away with it right now, but Islock is right there. Torpedo, <laughs> Bell, Belarus. Yeah, I, I was just about to I'm, say I'm torpedoes sorry. are. I, th- I think we have to be a fan of torpedo Bell AZ. All right, so all right, I, th- I think we've decided that. So each week. Make sure you tune in for the FC Torpedo. Delfina's got to get their shit together. <laughs> and uh, my my apologies uh, to play Alan Pardue for demon. not being able to get you on this time. I promise we'll find a spot for you next time. Uh, stay safe in England there, my lad. Don't headbutt anyone. Six feet away. Uh, never forget. Oh, away on, the torpedo. Come on, you torpedoes. Uh, we'll be back recording uh, next Tuesday night. New episodes every Ta-ta. Wednesday for Declan Langbaki. My name is Brendan Myers. Thanks for listening.